All right, Galatians chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse number 10. The key verse I want to focus on is verse number 24, but it'll take a minute to get there. And what we've been talking about is how to be effective representatives, how to be effective witnesses and evangelists in this world. We want you guys to be equipped to know your faith, to share your faith with confidence, effectively, to see results. And when I say results, when I say results, I'm not talking about someone bowing their head and getting saved right away. That would be great. Don't misunderstand me. But I can only think of a couple times where that's ever happened to me. Like, I try to share my faith on a regular basis. I make an effort to do that, and God blesses it. And, you know, that's one thing that I always say, and I hope you guys put into practice, is that's one prayer that God's going to answer. When you say, Lord, help me to share my faith today with somebody, he will answer that prayer. Now, whether or not you take advantage of the opportunity he presents to you is a different thing. I missed the opportunity many times. But I have seen countless times that he does answer that prayer. But when I say results, to me, what is a success in evangelism is, especially in our day and age, getting, number one, getting a hold of somebody's attention. You know, we talked before about, Brother David mentioned, I think it was last week, about uh, dialogue, being able to converse with people. You know, that's a skill that takes practice. And growing up, when I was y'all's age, I was very shy. And I'm a very introverted person, I think, by nature. I'm not very bubbly or outspoken, as you can tell. Most of you know me pretty well. But that's just not my personality. That's why I married somebody that was. Because if it weren't for Lauren, I probably wouldn't have any friends. Just kidding. But... She's a lot more bubbly than I am, right? It's really easy for, you know, she'll tell you, she'll say, look, it's really hard for me to, to share the gospel. She has a hard time doing that. I mean, that just takes practice, but I like to talk about things that are meaningful, you know? I was talking to a coworker on Friday about this, and he agreed. He's like, I'm a very introverted person, but the guy's going through a divorce, working a lot of hours. I don't know the whole, everybody, there's two sides to every story. So he's, I feel sorry for him, but we had a really good, meaningful conversation, and I was able to share the gospel with him, and I had his attention, and I got him thinking, and you could tell that the gears were turning. He was kind of following what I was saying. To me, results and success in evangelism is if you can get somebody's attention, you can get, get, gain their trust for a short amount of time to where they'll be open-minded and listen to what you have to say, and if you can tell them what the gospel is, how Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead to save us from our sins. And how our sins are so grievous that we need a Savior. If you, can, if you can get somebody to listen to that, I think that's a success. Now what they do with it, whether they fully comprehend it, that's not up to us, right? That's not up to us. And we know in this church that we're not trying to just get numbers. We're not trying to just get people to say a prayer. We want people to understand the gospel we want them to believe the gospel and when they call on the lord out of a pure heart out of a heart that understands that's what you want you want someone that has a genuine conversion now that's not going to happen every time so when i say results that's what i'm talking about i'm talking about if you can if you can effectively converse with somebody explain the fact that they're a sinner in need of a savior and then explain the story of redemption in the gospel that's a huge success in my book 
And so I'm, I'm always happy at work or wherever if I can get in a conversation like that with somebody, I think it's a successful day. So when you're thinking about that through this study that we're doing on Sunday mornings, try to make that a practice. When you guys go out into the world, when you go to the store or the, your school or work or wherever, make that, make that a, ha- a habit. Lord, help, pray and say, Lord, help me to share my faith with somebody today. And then engage in them with a, in a conversation and just see what happens, you know? So Galatians chapter 3, we'll begin in verse number 10. And in the context of Galatians, we're talking about Abraham. Abraham is the example of a man that lived by faith. Galatians 3.10, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Okay, let's stop. Before we go any farther, Galatians 3.10 is a direct reference to Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Now, you don't have to turn there. I'll turn there and read that to you. But more specifically, our topic for this morning is how to effectively utilize the law and the commandments in your witness for Christ. Okay, so Deuteronomy 3.10, it says... For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Deuteronomy 27 and verse number 26 says this. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Okay, so the first point I want to make is obviously, to us this is obvious, you are not saved by keeping the law. Right? That is so obvious. Because your attempt at keeping the law would require you, according to this verse, Galatians 3.10 and Deuteronomy 27.26, would require you to keep the entirety of the law. Let's keep reading. Galatians 3, verse 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. This verse is a direct reference to Habakkuk 2.4. The just shall live by faith. There's two other times that shows up. Romans 1.17 and Hebrews 10.38. God didn't give the law to justify men. He gave the law to condemn men. Let's skip down to verse number 24 in Galatians 3. This is our key verse for today. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law is our schoolmaster. It's our teacher. It's our professor, it's our guide to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified not by keeping the law, but be justified by faith. So the law acts as a mirror to condemn man and to to bring him to Christ who redeemed us from the law, who kept the law, who nailed all the ordinance of the law that were against us to the cross. We read in verse 11, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Let's come back to this. We'll go back to Galatians 3.24 in a second. The just shall live by faith. Okay. If you live by faith, your classmates and your coworkers will notice. What does it mean to live by faith? That's what I want you to think about right now. What does it mean to live by faith? Go to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be back in Galatians 3, but Hebrews 11, 
What does it mean to live by faith? Well, let's find out. The context, like I said, in Galatians 3 is Abraham. He's the main character in Galatians 3. Abraham is a man who lived by faith. Abraham was not perfect. Abraham was extremely flawed. He had a lot of problems. He was a liar. Um, he was a lot of things. But you know what? He believed God, Romans 4 says, and it was counted to him for righteousness. The example in our chapter is Abraham. Okay, we're in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith, remember the question, what does it mean to live by faith? By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What does it mean to live by faith? Our example is Abraham. Okay. Abraham obeyed his God-given calling, as you saw in verse number eight. That's what it means to live by faith. He had a calling from God. God had spoken to him told him to do something, and it says that he obeyed. So he obeyed his God-given calling. Also, he trusted and acted on his faith without knowing it at all, without knowing exactly where he was going, what exactly he was to find. He believed God, and he acted on that, that absolute blind faith that he had. He completely trusted God. Also, we saw in verse number 9, that he sacrificed to God what he knew. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise in a strange country. So he went to a strange country. He left home. He left the things that were familiar. He left his family. Remember, his family were a bunch of idolaters, worshiping sticks and stones. And he left what was familiar. So he made a sacrifice. He sacrificed his comfort, his familiarity to live by faith. He got out of his comfort zone. Verse number nine. And that's a key. That's a key point. I think about this a lot. And I've been influenced a lot by Ray Comfort in the way that I evangelize. And if you want to actually be an effective witness, you need to watch Ray Comfort on YouTube. You need to spend a lot of time watching how he talks to people. You can learn so much. But one of the things that he always emphasizes is getting out of your comfort zone. And that's exactly what it means for a Christian to live by faith. We're not living by faith in what's familiar and what's comfortable. It doesn't take any faith to do that. Everybody does that. And the world looks at the Christian and we're a peculiar people because we're willing to sacrifice what is comfortable and familiar for our calling to obey God. Does that make any sense? You know, so get out of your comfort zone and sharing your faith with another person is quite uncomfortable. Would you agree? Right? Maybe? Yeah? No? Maybe you guys don't. Maybe you guys enjoy, you know, have a lot of comfort. If that's your comfort zone, that's great. That's not my comfort zone. But you know, what I've found is, you know, people always say don't talk about religion or politics. I've found that most people spend most of their day thinking about those two things. So, I think most people enjoy talking about religion or politics, but... Get outside of your comfort zone. That's the point I'm trying to make. Get outside of your comfort zone. And that's what I mean. When you say it, when you get up in the morning and say, Lord, that's what you guys need to make a habit of. You need to start that practice now. Lord, how can I please you today? You know how you can please God today? You can please God by opening your mouth and sharing the gospel with somebody. 
If you have been born again, if you are a converted, if you're a believer, you're really saved, you're really truly saved, you will have a natural desire to share what God has done to you with those around you, beginning with your family, the ones that you love the most. And you won't have to be told this stuff. Now, my goal in this message is not to provoke you to do that. My goal is to equip you so that you're better capable of doing that. But that's something you guys need to do in the morning. I will say is get up in the morning and pray, Lord, help me share my faith today. Help me share the gospel with somebody. And when you do that, God's going to give you an opportunity and you're going to be outside of your comfort zone. It's, you're not good at talking to people. You're shy. You know, this isn't, no, this isn't my calling. It is your calling. It's every believer's calling. One way or another, you need to make that a habit. And now I'm going to be completely honest with you. If you do not have that desire, there is a good chance you might not be saved. Think about it. That's a big statement. That's a big statement. When I was, okay, when I got saved, I did not, I did not know that I was saved how we know it to be. I really didn't quite understand it. But I'm telling you, when I was, when I was, when somebody shared the gospel with me and I believed it, it was immediate that I had to take this to my family and my friends. It was an immediate thing. They didn't tell me I needed to do that. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, that is what they exist for, is to evangelize and they are lost. And they tell, talk about it all the time in their services. I know a lot of people that are Jehovah's Witnesses. I know a lot of people who uh, know Jehovah's Witnesses. But man, they, they do it all the time and they're lost. They're not even saved. But I'm telling you this, when you are truly saved, you're truly converted, you will have an innate natural desire to reach people that you know don't know this or that you think don't know this. The first thing that came to my mind was I've got to go home and tell my family what I learned tonight at this Bible study. I must tell them, you know, this is so serious. You know, I got confronted with the gospel judgment day. Never heard about that, but I believed it. Okay, so if you don't if you don't have that desire, you may not even be saved. So you need to that, that should bother you. That should really concern you. And what I'm getting at is this. I remember I really struggled with whether or not I was truly saved for probably at least two years. Like I started reading the Bible right after that, but I knew nothing. I had no real foundation to my faith. And I really struggled because I would go to the Bible study and I'd tell the people there, I'd say, look, I don't really think I'm actually saved because I did this this week. I said this to my brothers, you know, I reacted like this. There's just absolutely no way. And I started listening to preaching and I would, I would pray the sinner's prayer every time a sermon would get over and they'd say, all right, if you're not sure that you're saved, repeat the prayer. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do it this time. I did it probably hundreds of times. That's not how you get saved. You get saved by believing the gospel. Now that became clear to me a couple years into my, my newfound faith. I believed. And the apostles said in the book of Acts, I believe, therefore have I spoken. So they preached the gospel. They devoted their lives to this. This is what we're talking about now because they had believed. Okay, what were we talking about? We're talking about getting out of your comfort zone. So you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone to share your faith. Okay, we also see, what does it mean to live by faith? Well, you saw that God blessed him. God blessed Abraham because he lived by faith. He believed God, and then therefore God blessed him. 
Verse 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise, Hebrews 11, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. You know what that means? That means God blessed him with children. God told, God told him that. That was the promise. You're going to have children as many as there are stars in the sky, sand on the seashore without number. Abraham believed God. But then Abraham got to experience part of the blessing when, he gave, when his wife gave birth to Isaac, his children. So he was blessed. And I will just say this. When you get outside of your comfort zone to share your faith, it is a tremendous blessing. Remember talking about children. Abraham had children. Paul said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. Did Paul? I don't think Paul was married and had his own children. But I, we think that he's referring to the people that he converted to faith in Christ. Right? But let me tell you something. When you get outside of your comfort zone and share what God has done with you to other people, you're going to see them experience what you experienced. And it is going to bring you the greatest joy in life when you see that they believe the same thing. They're trusting God. They're on their own journey. Right? Now, I told you before that I can only think of a couple times where somebody's actually bowed their head and, try and asked God to save them when I was evangelizing. Only a couple of times I can think that that happened. Now, I will say this. I have a friend. We were talking about him the other night at the fellowship at our house. One of my closest friends. We were friends growing up. He, was, he grew up in a Christian home, a very lukewarm Christian home. His parents ended up getting divorced. They weren't, they weren't Christian in name only. I don't know if they were saved or not, but his uncle's a preacher. Anyway, I got saved. We were working out together. I told him I had to leave to go to Bible study because, you know, I got born again. And I told him what, about that. And he goes, what do you mean by that? So we started talking. Well, I'm sharing the, sharing the gospel with my friend here at school. And I think I was 18. Telling him about this Bible study I go to. Telling him about the things I've learned. Telling him about what God did to me in my heart. And I went about my way. You know, he didn't, he didn't ask to get saved. He just, you know, he inquired about it. He was listening. And uh, time went on. A few months go by, and I had heard that he had gotten religious. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. We ended up going to the same school together. He is actually the, he invited me. Okay, so he had a professor that invited him to his church. So his, his teacher in school, in college, invited him to church. He went to the church while we were at the school, the same school. He called me and goes, Gage, you'd really like this church. Because what I would do is I had a Bible study every Wednesday in college and we would listen to brother james in the bible study and he goes gage this church is a lot like that church you listen to online and uh we went great church i went there the whole time i was there i left moved here he stayed there kept going to that church uh he had a girlfriend in that church they both got so convicted one sunday both of them they didn't talk about it after the service found he found the pastor she found the pastor's wife and they both said that they know that they are lost and they need to be saved. And they got saved. Truly converted. This was probably after I'd been here for probably two or three years, I think. And he called me up. He goes, Gage, you know, I just want to tell you, I actually, I got, I got saved, man. That was the greatest thing ever, you know. It took a long time from the time I first heard the gospel. And I did, you know, we just became friends. And I did my thing. He did his thing. Apparently, so what it was... I never knew if he was actually saved or not. There's no way to really know. He would come to the Bible study, but he did his own thing. And he, you know, but uh, yeah, he ended up getting saved. And now he is, he has made it his life's goal to 
share the gospel with everybody he comes in contact with. And he's in the military. I was talking to you guys about him. He's, uh, he's the real deal. And we visited him. He had told me uh, for years that he'd been witnessing to his guys in the military. A lot of them got saved. I'm like, dude, that's amazing. We went and visited him, went to his church. All of his military buddies that he led to faith in Christ took up an entire pew. There were like six or seven of these grown men, you know, in the special forces and stuff. Like guys that go on secret missions, take out bad guys. They're saved because of this guy. Isn't that something? I mean, it brought me to tears. It was the most amazing thing. And I'm telling you, young men and young ladies, you can have a similar story. Lord, how can I share my faith? Help me get out of my comfort zone. Help me to share my faith with somebody. And you just never know. You just never know what God's going to do, who's going to believe, and what's going to happen as time goes on. I'll tell you another thing. I'm sure glad I didn't give up on God in all that time. Because he would have called me up and I would have said, no, I have nothing to do with this anymore. Oh, that'd be sad. That's something you guys should write in your Bible. I wrote it in mine. I don't know if I wrote it in this one. Because this is a new Bible. But I know I had it in my old one. I heard this from a guy in a, like a mega church type thing. And it was a really good quote. He said, if I give up on God, how many people will be, will be affected by that? Isn't that interesting? I'd write that down. If I give up on God, how many people are going to be affected by that? And I remembered that. And so, you know, life is, t- we talked about that in the boys or in the masculinity class. Life is tough. Be faithful. Don't quit. Okay. Back to our topic. Get out of your comfort zone. Abraham was blessed with children, right? We can be blessed by seeing people that get converted as a result of our witness. You know, reproduction, spiritually. Making disciples. That's the goal. Okay, back to Abraham. Hebrews 11. So Abraham, he obeyed his God-given calling. He trusted and acted on his faith without knowing everything that was going to happen. He sacrificed his comforts, his familiarity, his home, his family. Because of his faith, he got out of his comfort zone. He was blessed with children. He stayed focused on the why, why he came. Verse number 10, Hebrews 11. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Why do I believe what I do? Why do I behave the way I do? Why do I need to share my faith? Abraham was focused on the why. And he lived by faith. And that's what we need to do. We need to be focused on the why. Why do I believe this way? Why do I act this way? Why do I need to share my faith in the first place? Okay, those are questions you've got to ask yourself. Back to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3. So in verse number 10, we had a reference to Deuteronomy 27. And then in verse number 11 of Galatians 3, we had a reference to Habakkuk 2.4. Notice all these Old Testament references. And then in verse number 12, we have a reference to Leviticus 18.5. Let's read Galatians 3.12. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. That's a reference to Leviticus 18.5. And I want to say this. It doesn't take much faith to keep the law. So if you're somebody, if you're talking to someone and they tell you, and most people will say this, I believe that I've, I am going to, I'm a good person. Therefore 
I'm going to get into heaven because I try to keep the law of the Ten Commandments. Very, very common thing. Your life better be consistent with the law if you think that you're saved by keeping it. The man that doeth them shall live in them. There is absolutely no one on the face of the earth that is living in the law. You can't. You physically cannot. Because I mean, geographically, for one thing, history, another thing, what's happened over there, you literally cannot keep it. It's absolutely impossible. Let's go back to verse number 24, Galatians 3. Okay, so then what's the point of the law? Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Okay. Two things. No one keeps the law. No one is justified for being good. Good enough. Okay, so ask someone. Here's the practical side. Most of you probably already know this. Some of you do not. Ask someone who believes that they are good enough or that they are keeping the law the following questions. All you need to know is four of the Ten Commandments. And as I said before, if you go and watch Ray Comfort evangelize on YouTube, you'll see that he does this every time. It is so absolutely effective. And I was introduced to this when I was at that college with my friend. I had another friend who I don't even know if he was saved. He went to a church of Christ. He ended up dating. I don't know if he got married or not. He was dating some Muslim girl. So, you know, his faith wasn't all that important to him. But he introduced me to Ray Comfort's ministry online on YouTube. And I thought that was the most amazing thing ever. I'd never heard of him. But this is how he evangelizes, and this is such an effective way. You ask somebody, okay, let me ask you a question. You think you're good enough? You think you're keeping the commandments? Have you ever told a lie? That's commandment number nine in Exodus 20, verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Okay, have you ever told a lie? And if so, what does that make you? Well, yes, it makes me a liar. That's what an honest person will say. Also... Next question, have you ever stolen anything? That's commandment number eight, Exodus 20, verse 15. An honest person would say, yes, I have. It doesn't matter the size, big or small. You don't have to steal a car to be a thief. You steal a pencil, you're a thief. What does that make you? That makes you a thief. Have you ever said, oh my, G-O-D? Who doesn't say that other than... People like us that go to a church like this, everybody curses God up and down all day long. That's commandment number three. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Exodus 20, verse number seven. That's called blasphemy. Last question you need to ask is this. Have you ever looked at a person with lust? And somebody be like, ooh, that kind of makes me uncomfortable. You ever looked at someone with lust before? What do you mean? Most, a lot of people don't even know what that means anymore. That's commandment number seven. Commandment number seven is thou shalt not commit adultery. Exodus 20, verse 14. Jesus takes it a step further. Turn with me to Matthew chapter five. Jesus takes it a step further. I remember the first time I read this. I was 17 when I started reading the New Testament for the first time. Matthew chapter five. Okay, Exodus 20, verse 14 says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And to the Jews, they would say, Amen. I do not commit adultery. Okay, and Jesus knows a lot of these Jews he's speaking to are very self-righteous. They think very highly of themselves. They take a lot of pride in keeping the law, dotting their every I and crossing every T. Matthew chapter 5, verse number 27. 
Jesus said, You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. And everybody nods their head and says, Yep, amen. They don't feel anything. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. And when Jesus said that, I guarantee you, this great, uncomfortable, I mean, you can imagine everybody standing there listening going, oh man, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Everybody's guilty of that. Everybody's guilty of that. We talked about this in the biblical, or uh, did we talk about this? I don't remember. I don't know if we did or not. The multi-billion dollar industry in America today is human sex trafficking and pornography. And that makes everybody feel very uncomfortable talking about that stuff. But it is very, very real. Very real. Because it is so accessible. Brother James says this all the time. Back in the old days, you would have to order a magazine and you'd have to have the mail guy deliver it to your house. There would be so many levels of embarrassment or shame for somebody to do such a horrible thing. Nowadays, we don't have that. Anybody with internet access with a phone or a computer or anything can look at whatever they want. They can lust after anybody they want to, anytime, with no shame or embarrassment in front of anybody else. Jesus said, look, you that think you're good enough, you that, a lot, and you know, if you talk to a Jew today, Perfect example. Does anybody know who Dennis Prager is? You know who Dennis Prager is? Don't you know who Dennis Prager is? Yeah, Prager U. He's got a big uh, conservative thing, like at school. He does a school and a lot of education for kids, conservative stuff. He's a Jewish guy, not saved. Literally, he says, I believe I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. And, I mean, this guy is also an advocate for pornography. He has openly said that he doesn't think it's wrong to look at pornography. Yeah, he's a big-time voice in the conservative world in America. And to me, that blows my mind. But to a self-righteous person, he he knows the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He says, I do not commit adultery. But Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Boom. Everybody's condemned. Okay, what was the point of the law? The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. Christ is standing there saying, look, I'm telling you the spirit of the law. If you intend to do it in your heart, you're just as guilty before God. I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Okay, back to what we were talking about. You ask the person you're evangelizing four simple questions. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever said, oh my, G-O-D, have you ever looked with lust? And if, if they're honest, and most people are, not everybody is, but if they're honest, they'll say yes. And you know what you do? You say, okay, let's review. We went through four of the Ten Commandments. You have admitted to me that you are guilty of lying, theft, uh, blasphemy, and adultery. How are you going to do on Judgment Day? So far, not very good. And if you break, according to James 2.10, if you break one, one law in the, in the law, one commandment, you're guilty of all of them. You don't stand a chance. And so when you explain this to someone, you know what it does? First of all, it's going to make them feel a little bit uncomfortable. And that's okay. That's totally okay. When you, okay, here's, this is a great sin of Christian evangelism, at least today, is nobody wants to make anyone feel uncomfortable. 
And most people avoid sharing their faith because it makes them feel uncomfortable. You need to get past that because hell is a lot more uncomfortable than five seconds in a conversation. Right? Would you agree? I don't want somebody to go to hell. I believe it's a real place. So does Jesus, by the way. Okay, so you, you go through four of the Ten Commandments. You explain to them you're a self-admitted lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterer at heart. You've got to stand before God on Judgment Day. You're going to be in big trouble. You're going to be innocent or guilty. And an honest person would say, you know what? I am guilty. I am really not a good person after all. And so then what do you do? Then you explain the gospel. If you just go up to somebody and say, hey, can I share the gospel with you? That's great. But it's not the best way. And the, the only analogy I can think of is if a doctor knocked on your door and said, here's your prescription, here's your medication, and you took it and said, okay, thanks, but you didn't know what it was for, you probably wouldn't even take it. But if you got a phone call and said, hey, I need you to come to the doctor's office, I need to meet with you, you'd say, oh man, what is this about? And you go there and they say, look, we did your blood work and uh, you're in big trouble. You've got a very serious illness. I'm going to prescribe you some medication. We're going to see if it works, but you need to take this medication. You would absolutely take it as soon as you as soon as you knew you had a problem. You would then want the med- the prescription. You would take the medication. Okay, you can explain the gospel. That's all fine and good. But if you don't show them first of all why they need it, why you need Jesus Christ, it's not nearly as effective. Not nearly as effective. But when you're in a conversation with somebody and you've earned their trust for a few minutes. And they're vulnerable with you. And you say, hey, let me ask you some questions. You know, what do you, you know, what do you think happens after you die? Are you going to go to heaven? Yeah, I think so. Well, how are you going to get there? Well, you know, I've never killed anybody. That's probably the most common thing people say. Okay, you've never killed anybody. So you think you're a good person? Yeah, I do. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah, I have told a lie. What does that make you? Well, I guess it makes me a liar. Have you ever stolen anything? Even if it's small? You know, I think I have. Yeah, I have stolen something. So you're a thief. Have you ever said, oh, my G-O-D? Yeah, I said it just a few minutes ago. Okay, that's called blasphemy. Very serious. It was punishable by death in the Old Testament. You say, okay, now let me ask you this. It's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable. But Jesus said, you've heard of them of old time. You shouldn't commit adultery. You say, yeah, I've heard of that. But he said, if you look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Ooh. So by their own admission, they're lying, thieving, blasphemous, adulterers at heart. And that man is thinking, man, I am in big trouble. You say, okay. Now, let me tell you how you can get out of that trouble, because obviously you're not as good as you think you are, you know, and neither am I. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, who never broke the law, never sinned, always did that which pleased his father. Then he went to a cross and offered himself as a sacrifice to pay for all of your sins that you just admitted to me. And when somebody believes the gospel, what it is, is a legal transaction takes place in a courtroom. God is the judge. God's son has paid the fine for sin with his own blood. And the person that receives that payment can legally walk out of God's courtroom innocent. Because your fine has been paid by someone else, Jesus Christ, with his life's blood. And when you explain it that way, it makes perfect sense. And any rational, honest person would say, you know what? I want that. I need that. The problem becomes, and there's not much you can do about this. The problem becomes is that most people are not honest with themselves. And therefore, they're not going to be honest with you. Now, I've had a lot of people tell me, 
No, I've never told a lie. And I'm like, wow, you are lying to me right now. Like there is absolutely no way you've never lied before. And they will say that they've never done any of these things. And I'm like, well, it's really frustrating. I don't really know what to do with that. I explain the gospel, but you got to be honest with yourself. So a lot of people aren't, unfortunately, but, but a lot of people are. Okay. Back to Galatians chapter 3. Okay, so we've used the law as our schoolmaster. The law is your teacher. The law is showing you that you're condemned and why you need the Savior. Back to Galatians 3. So verse 12, and the law is not of faith. The man that doeth them shall live in them. We explain that. Okay, so you explain the law and the reason that someone is condemned. Verse number 13, the very next verse. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So the key here is that once you explain to somebody that they're lost by showing them, and now I wouldn't just go accusing people of this. I would make them think about it and admit it themselves. It's a lot more effective that way. Then you say, look, you need the Savior. There is literally no other religion that offers a Savior for sinners. None. No Muslim, no Jew, no uh, Catholicism has this all messed up. No other religion has a Savior. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He was made a curse. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's a reference to Deuteronomy 21. Notice all these verses are references to the Old Testament, to the law. But once you converse with a sinner, or, and once you convince them of their guilt before God, then the gospel will make sense. As I said before, prescribing medicine does no good unless the patient knows that there is something wrong. And sin is an incurable disease without the blood of Christ. If God is a fair judge, he couldn't let a sinner go because he is a really good guy. That would be unjust. And throughout the Bible, you read that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care where you come from. Unlike our justice system today, where the president's son can smoke cocaine in the White House and seemingly get away with it. You can't get away with it before God, right? He does not care who you are, where you're at. He doesn't care. If he is just and holy, sin will go unpunished, whether you're the president, the king, or a teenager sitting in Sunday school. doesn't matter. God is fair. God is just. It would be unjust for him to just let someone go because they're a good guy. But, like I said before, the fine for our crimes has already been paid for by Jesus Christ, so God can legally dismiss the case in the law that condemns us for our sin because it was paid for by another. A legal transaction was made on the cross that we benefit from, that we are the beneficiaries of to this very day. Isn't that amazing? When that legal transaction was made 2,000 years ago, sinners 2,000 years ago could believe the gospel and receive the benefit of that legal transaction. And that is true to this very day until the rapture happens. And so there is absolutely no reason why we shouldn't be doing everything we can to reach everyone as possible with that message. Because sin is very serious. Hell is a real place. And if it's not real to you, there's not going to be no sense of urgency. There's only a sense of urgency when you come to the realization on your own, hell is a real place. Sin is serious. God is a judge. And like I said before, you know, if you're a genuine Christian, you're truly saved, then that's, that's going to go without saying. You're going to already know that. And you're going to say, man, I really need to reach my neighbors. 
That's what the early church did, and they got the gospel to the whole world in a very short amount of time. And, you know, the reason that we went through all this stuff is because I want to be able to equip you. And we're going to continue this study, I believe, Brother David. We're going to continue to equip you so that you can have everything you need to be effective, effective witnesses for Christ. So there you have it.